So Haley, how's your grades this semester? In math, I have an A, and in reading, I have a B. Am I in the corner? Back by the wood pile. Class, I'm getting the big hairy F. Well, congratulations. Oh, thanks. I'm Spun Counter Guy, thanks for stopping by. This episode we're going to call Digging Through the Cushions, and I say that because it's going to be a loose collection of recordings I've made with past guests that didn't make it into the final cuts, so to speak. We've got folks talking about inventing a computer for the domestic engineer, the blossom and decay of Schenectady, New York, how an adorable couple finally got together, the bottom of shoes being gathered for souls, and first up, how a relic of the Russian Tsar's family ended up in Middle Tennessee. Ken Wallace and his wife Amy tells that story. I bought a ostrich feather fan for Amy that belonged to Tsarina Alexander Romanov. The Romanovs were the, the Tsars that were executed in 1917 in Russia. It was by Lenin's orders, I think. Right. right? Our most famous, really, for their Fabergé eggs. That's where that their most iconic you know name recognition comes from. Mm-hmm. But a lady in England had this fan that was given to her father, who was a member of parliament by Alexander Kerensky in the 80s, 1980s. Alexander Kerensky was the, the leader of the provisional government that was in charge of moving the Romanovs out of Russia. And so during an interview with Alexandra, it was very hot and he was perspiring. And so she gave him one of her, just a regular household fan. It wasn't an imperial fan by any means. Mm-hmm. He retained that. And that was documented in his memoirs and the memoirs of a servant in the house as well. So, of course, we know how the, the Romanov story ended. Well, they were executed. They were executed by the Bolsheviks. Like in a basement of a house or in something? In a basement of a house. And then they acid was thrown on their bodies and they were burnt. And their bodies weren't found until, I think, around the 1980s. Well, then they killed their dogs, too? And their servants. Everybody. Everything. Everything they had with them that was breathing, they, they killed. Mm-hmm. Alexander Kerensky kept that fan, well, he was friends with this lady in England, Petronella, and so they kept in touch. In the 1980s, he gave his first edition signed book of his memoirs to her father and gave the fan to her mother. So now she's selling off, and they had quite a collection. They have things that belong to that gal that was in Breakfast at Tiffany's, Audrey Hepburn, Hepburn, and they have things that were bought from the Duchess of Windsor's estate when they sold. So what she is now, this gal, she has a blog in London, and it's about having a preeminent name, having a station, but not having the money to support that station. Mm -hmm. So she and her mom are selling off these fabulous things. So I saw it. I printed photos of it out. I showed it to Amy. I'm like, trying to get a commitment out of her. Uh-huh. And she's like, no, I don't need it. And I was like, well, it's historically significant. It's very, very interesting. Uh-huh. And she said, but I don't need it because she's very practical. So finally, <laughs> it disappeared from first dibs. I'm like, doggone it, I lost it. And I came home and I was mad. And I just, I, you know, spewed it out. I lost the fan for you because you couldn't make up your mind. Well, a couple <laughs> days later, it showed back up. Uh-huh. And so I called her at work and I'm like, it's back on. You want it, yes or no? And I finally got a yes out of her. So... I bought it. Just harassed me. I, I did. Do you like it, Amy? I mean... Oh, of course. I absolutely love it and uh, took it to the Downton Abbey premiere down in Franklin. You just didn't need it. Right. But when it caught the eye of an antique dealer and she was able to tell him who it belonged to and his eyes lit up like Wonder Woman, <laughs> you know, then it was a little bit more interesting. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, the same lady said that since the Russian Orthodox yeah. Church made a saint out of Alexandra, since this was a personal possession, it can also be considered a holy relic. Really? Something like that? Yeah. And she also claims, she claims herself, Petronella, that her brother was in line to the throne because of their family name. Back on In the Corner, Back by the Woodpile, episode number 63, Joe Torre told of his tech career and how Amiga Computers was at the center of it. Well, after Gateway Computers bought Amiga, the company encouraged their workers to develop potential new products. And Mr. Torre tells us about what he pitched. I made the prototype for Gateway for a patent application for a thing called the Kitchen PC. It was an Amiga computer, of course, and the idea was that it would sit on the countertop in a modern kitchen that has like you know the the area where where mom makes breakfast for the kids and it has like the counter where the kids sit and the, the two stools that kind of a typical american type of uh setup in a kitchen you know right. with the sink off to the side so the idea was the ki- the kitchen pc was on a rotisserie and that was the patent application was a computer that the base of it is a rotisserie mm-hmm. and that you can rotate the computer around for the kids or you can rotate it back around you know for mom so that she can read her recipes and you know look up her stock reports and do other things like that <laughs> and so that the patent was for that and so but to do a patent application you need a first article this thing imagine a five gallon bucket you know like they have for for paint mm-hmm. it, that's a basically the form factor for it is was about like that like a big jumbo sized macintosh yeah you know the original macintosh uh-huh. imagine that just but twice as big because it had to have a nice big screen on it because it's mm-hmm. amiga it's got graphics and stuff so it had a 13-inch screen. That was a given. So uh, what I did is I, I found something that was shaped like that. And it, what it was was a 13-inch TV with a VCR built into the bottom of it. It's kind of an all-one VHS tape playing VCR with a CRT at the top. So I got that, and I took it apart and took all the VCR stuff out. And that's where I put the Amiga. And I had to no Amiga would fit in that much space. Mm-hmm. So what I did is I cut an Amiga 1200 in half. Well, not quite in half, but you know, in two-thirds, one-third. And then I bent it 90 degrees, like an L shape, and then I resoldered the edge of it where I cut it in half, all of the wires that connected inside the motherboard. So it was an L-shaped motherboard that would then fit behind the CRT inside of it, the case. And having worked at Color Graphic Communications, I knew how to shield it all from the high voltage on the CRT. And uh, basically, I was making a one-of-a-kind prototype, and then I had the floppy drive on the side and at the bottom, I uh, had room for the, the mouse and all accessories to go in the spot where the VCR was. Mm-hmm. I just made that basically an accessory slot where the remote control would go and other stuff. So that was the original Mega 1000 had what was called a keyboard garage mm-hmm. where the keyboard would, would slide underneath it. So oh, okay. the kitchen PC, I had you know the remote control garage, mouse garage, and all the stuff <laughs> would, would be there in the bottom. And so I finished that up, you know, painted it nice, you know, Bondo kind of you know fill in the areas where I had cut the case on the back and uh, for to mount the floppy drive and the CD-ROM drive and things like that. So put the whole thing together and then we uh, presented it to the uh, upper management at, at Gateway and they liked it. And you know, it was a part of a patent application for a kitchen PC. And the rotisserie at the bottom made it so you could turn it around and I think that's the main part of the, the patent application. Did it go into production then? No, no, it didn't because they never did anything with the Amiga. Huh. They, they could have made it a PC like that though. They huh. could have made... 
PC computers, but I think they Gateway has marketing people. They do surveys. They send out forms, and they had a very large phone bank, and they could task their phone centers with, uh, "We want you to ask an additional question." You know, ask them if they'd be interested in a computer for the kitchen that was on a rotisserie, so that you know they could use it. And I guess they got enough answers that were nah, nah. so they never, never did it. Some of my porch hang friends, whom we'll call Cousin Pickles and his wife Emily Pickles, will now share with us about how their hilarious union got all sticky and cemented and everything. Well, I don't know. We don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Really? Yeah. Well, we've known each other since I was about eight or nine years old. (laughs) Really? Which which makes me look terrible. Which makes him look terrible. (laughs) But he doesn't remember me. Because Tim was 25. Right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Nasty old man. How old were you? You were... I don't know. If you were eight, then I He was, was 13 or 14 playing with my big brother. They were friends. Playing so, music. Playing... It's not like... We're, they were hanging out. <laughs> we weren't we were... playing Tonka trucks at that age. <laughs> I was, but not with him. Um, and so he obviously knew me through Andy, my brother. Yeah. But obviously he was in love with you. It was right. love at first sight. He doesn't remember me. Which is really good because I was dancing around in a leotard and tights, and so oh, he doesn't really? much like me. today. Thank God. <laughs> Did he offer you a ride in the talking truck? Oh yeah, he <laughs> still does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I tried to pick her up in my big wheel. <laughs> So yeah. But then she did like a ballerina kick in your face. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. She's like, I don't like boys. High kick. Wah. No. Um. Black Swan. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Black Swan. So yeah, when did you become aware of each other? We, I guess it wasn't until I was established in Nashville, and then she moved down to come to school. I think mm-hmm. she moved down with her mom to come to school. Yeah, I was going and, to uh, Belmont at the time. Yeah. Un, I think it was her brother's fault, unwittingly, uh-huh. and maybe unwillingly. <laughs> this is the singer, Andy, Andy Davis. Davis. Yeah. You might have heard yes. of him. He's yeah. kind of a big deal. Yeah. He's kind of, yeah. <laughs> he, he just got a um, slot to play one of his songs on MTV's Teen Mom, season Whoa. two. <laughs> that could lead to good things. Yeah. yeah. So as little... long as it doesn't lead to more teen babies. Though. Exactly. <laughs> so check him out, kids. Uh, check and, him out. And, Andy Davis. Yeah. 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 Andy, um, Andy Davis. Yeah, you'll see him petting, uh, rubbing. Uh, sorry, you'll oh see him, my gosh! You'll see him r- rubbing the uh, pregnant babies. Or, <laughs> wait a minute, not pregnant. <laughs> pregnant bellies. Oh, that's the worst. I hope. You know, on second thought, we made you that all up. You need more tequila. He's no. Um, so yeah, and I would go visit my brother at his house, which is where Timmy lived. Also, they were out of school at this time. I was twenty. Twenty. And I was 37. No. <laughs> you were 26. I was, no, I was younger than that. 25. We're six years apart. I don't know. with the coffin. Anyway, uh, he had me, like, making mixtapes for her to introduce her to better music. Really? Uh, yeah. So this was a problem for you? Yeah. <coughs> what were you listening to at the time? Oh, well. What is the worst thing you can think no, of? No. She was really big in a Gregorian chant. <laughs> Now, uh, I was listening, I don't know, whatever I was listening to in college at the time, the shins and stuff like that. Okay. Um, so she, yeah. she had some good, like, indie taste, and she had a lot of terrible taste. I was you still agree? listening to Death Cab for Cutie and things like oh. that that were big. Yeah. yeah. <coughs> I'm so sad. I'm white. Exactly. And rich. Yes. <laughs> exactly. I married a model. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> the new girl, to be precise. He's married to her. No, they're divorced now. They are? Yeah. He's married oh, to Zoe Deschanel? He, he was. was. Yeah. Really? She's cool. Which is why her, his songs, I guess, got sadder. Oh, yeah. Or, or douchier. <laughs> anyway, so he was making mixtapes for me for a long time. I got one in high school from him at one point. What, what were the songs about? I mean, were they like oh. real heavy come on songs? <laughs> got me in the mood, for yeah. sure. No, um, yeah, and we would just hang out, and we, I started yeah, but to her, like it. We would watch movies. Well, even like before movies. that, her brother was like... It's a complicated story, apparently. He was yeah. asking, I mean, he wanted me to like <laughs> hang out with her, or Is that know, true? take her to like a are show you, or something. Are you serious? Because she was doing town, or did he want you guys together? I don't know. I think he probably thought you were lonely. Oh, you're the one. <laughs> it was, you were the it was my, okay. It's I'm my serious. You probably was, thought that Timmy was lonely. Because they were going on the road all the time, so Andy and the rest of the roommates would leave the house, and Timmy would be there all by himself. So I read a lot. I got a lot of He was a reading lot a lot of, read. of books, yeah, yeah, at the time, um, constantly. And the place where I worked. So you call that not lonely? I mean, no. I didn't feel lonely. Oh, okay. I mean, I was enjoying my alone time. Yeah. Lots of alone time. We started Now out. I can't get enough alone time. <laughs> oh. No, but we like we went to a couple of shows and then like we were hanging out and then it was trying to figure out our feelings and really? how to tell yeah. her brother. Okay. Which is weird and awkward sometimes. But So how did he take it when you said, Hey, I wanna French kiss your sister? Uh, uh I've never told him that. <laughs> He's still waiting. He's, <laughs> Yeah, he still thinks we. That's still, why we bought a two-bedroom house. Right. Still waiting to tell him the news. His and hers. We've been married for over two years now. Just to let you know. But he's just sort of approached me one day. It's like, are you dating my sister? Really? Yeah. I mean, we were just. He was just sort of joking around. I was like, I don't know. It was really tough because I didn't know. Like, yeah. I didn't know. One, if I wanted to date her, mm-hmm. and two, like, would it be right to date her? Yeah. So we had like a really. Because of uh, all her flaws. A really. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Sorry. No, I mean like <laughs> there's. I mean like there's an age Interview difference. over. Interview. Yes. <laughs> there's an By age. By the way, difference. viewers, I will not laugh at every joke that they. <laughs> I do laugh at most of them. Do people view radio shows? I think they do. <laughs> In Italy's world. <laughs> yeah. But mind. no, we had like it was. Uh, the beginning of our relationship was like somebody trying to figure out how to drive a stick shift. A oh. lot of a lot of stalls and yes. Some of you kids are calling it up. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. boy, yeah. she learned how to drive a stick shift though. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! By the way, should we put all, like a an, the an age there, disclaimer? Yeah, yeah for the exactly. viewers, we're all seventeen still, and that's why this is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> oh um. man. No, but we had like it a, took a, a rough, while to work out the kinks. Yeah, it was yes. like a rough start, and then like we dated, and it wasn't a big deal because it was just like another. It was just dating somebody. Yeah, you know, right. it was just hanging out with another guy. At that point. <laughs> what? what? <laughs> that was was that how dating was for you? Yeah, I mean, didn't, didn't, it's just hanging out with the guys. Yeah, I mean, I'm going on a date. I mean, didn't you make out with your guy friends? I mean, go to the tractor pull. <laughs> Learning to drive stick shift together. (laughs) It's all the same in the dark. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, it was like real. I mean, we went on dates and and had a good time. Yeah. After a while. I didn't, I didn't really mean that by the way, but you're, you're kind of a tomboy, you're kind of, but you're, you're also attractive too. Oh, and I'm, I'm not say, I'm sorry, I know that's no. your wife right <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll plug in some like, the head. well I mean like we, we dated and then we didn't for a little bit and then we would. 
And then we and didn't again and then we for a while. Again and but we finally got serious <coughs> and dated for about a good year and uh, didn't hang out with anyone else. Wow. <laughs> really? You cut everybody off. Huh? We kind of, so well. So you want a little couple. No. <laughs> no. Um, no we just was... needed to spend time together to see if, to yeah. actually commit and yeah, make it work. And sure. we did. Well, it's just weird, like, when you find somebody that you want to spend the rest of your life with. Yeah. Right. Karsten Ferguson tells us about the charity Souls for Souls and how he, as a military veteran, is both a benefactor and organizer. Souls for Souls is a uh, nonprofit that they take in shoes, clothes, and their whole thing that they're trying to do is alleviate poverty. Mm -hmm. Of course, they do have a donation portion, but one of the things that they do, one of the reasons why I signed up is because it's like, hey, it's not just give a man a fish, teach a man a fish. So, you know, by giving them uh, basically a way to find a job, you know, in a lot of cases, like uh, my example, I'm basically like an independent contractor with them, mm -hmm. and so they pay me per pound. It's not that much, I'm not going to get rich, but you know, it's something where I can actually make a difference, right. you know, in my spare time. So I, I'm not de dedicating all my time to it, but, you know, still, you know, being able to uplift other people as well. The people that are being uplifted, who are they exactly? Um, like, say, okay, at home, like me, I'm their first veteran. Uh, that that's an opportunity for me. They have uh, another pilot program where it's a, a women entrepreneurship program, to where it's pretty much the same thing, but you know, getting uh, certain characters. But where it's most prevalent at is like places like Haiti, where they have a micro enterprise program. So they set the people up through the Haitian American Caucus with a small micro loan, you know, anywhere from thirty to sixty or eighty dollars. These people. They set up a system, they uh, get the stuff wholesale at the cheapest price possible, and stuff that I bring in gets funneled through there, and you know, these people are able to just have more dignity and actually have kind of a sense of purpose, you know, because people want to work. Most people want to work. The Souls for Souls, the first soul is like shoe soul, right? Yeah. Is it just shoes or just... It, or it's, it's shoes and clothes. Like all, all the stuff, you know, gets done the same way and it's a zero waste program so nothing is in a landfill so that's also a bonus you know for people trying to get rid of stuff and all i ask is that people you know they think about us right that's all i ask because you know there's a lot of good organizations out there so if someone has some stuff they wanted to donate how would they do it you can contact me directly but i'm trying to set up more of the um, actual drives because i'm trying to make it worth my time or some of the drop-off locations so they can go to socialsouls.org and uh, type in their zip code and see, you know, affiliations. So it's all over? Smaller away from here. It's Nashville-based, mm -hmm. and it's not, like, you know, all yeah. over. Like, uh, uh, some of the places are onesie-twosies, like in other parts of the country, you know, just because of shipping costs and all that stuff. Right. How did you get involved? Like, the video stuff that I'm doing, um, you know, going to Boots of Business class to get a refresher. The Small Business Administration had a... Uh, a boosted business class for veterans that you know wanted to be entrepreneurs, mm -hmm. and I was like, I was like, you know, I haven't been to a small business administration. I looked on the calendar, and that was actually the first one. Uh, I was thinking about not going to see if I could just go to a, a regular one. Good thing you went, cause yeah. <laughs> and and they they were doing a job fair in the hallway, and uh, I told a couple bad jokes, and uh, Lisa Point, who's no longer with Souls for Souls, but you know she's doing something like back closer home with her family mm -hmm. up in Michigan and um, 
I guess the rest is history. <laughs> yeah. Tell some stories of, uh, like maybe some firsthand stories you know of how people have been affected for the positive. Well, I, I know personally, I was not going to, like last year I went to my first uh, drive in Antioch. And, you know, I'm like, like I, I collect stuff, you know, give it to people. I hand out the shoes. I don't have to put it on people's feet. Mm -hmm. But there was like a little girl, she was like six years old or something like that. And uh, she turns her head to the side and doesn't say anything, just puts her foot up. Mm -hmm. And I was like, it, it was just cool. It, 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 it was funny. It was real funny. And then uh, and then as we were walking out, you know, I'm high-fiving everybody. And then she's like, she tugged on my leg and it's like, uh, thank you. And I was like, I was like, oh, wow. That's great. <laughs> my eye. <laughs> There's something in my eye. <laughs> you were in the, in the military. Yeah, I was right? in the Air Force. Okay. And is this connected to the military any? Well, just um, they were looking for a, a military veteran just, you know, to uh, be part of this. Because? I guess a, a good tie-in, you know, outreach through the community, mm -hmm. giving back to the veterans while doing something good, so win-win situation kind of thing. I think it's bigger in the, in the long run because, you know, you want something sustainable. Because, you know, you can you can give away, give away, give away, but, you know, what's the actual, like, value in that? Also, it's also, you know, providing dignity and opportunity. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's more crucial than, than a lot of other things anyway. Uh, Marie Ange is one of the ladies that's in um, in Hayden, and she has built her family a house like out of this money. And the women do very very well with this. I don't know why, but they do. They just really excel. And then uh, some of the stuff that happened even during Superstorm Sandy, because Souls for Souls actually started after 2004 tsunami that happened pretty much overseas, and then. Hurricane Katrina, which happened here, it pretty much started out a relief aid effort, and then they turned it into something, which, you know, 20, 2004, 2005, and then officially started in 2006. Pretty pretty cool, and, and it's really not that old, but, you know, to be an international organization that works with over 132 different countries, wow. I, I think I got that number right. <laughs> and so, again, if people want to get a hold of you or... Um, or like a website or they, they, can, they can go to directly to socialsouls.org or um, you know anybody that's in the area uh, I have my card and my email address it's uh, Karsten K-A-R-S-T-E-N S4S that's uh, S is in Sam the, the number four uh, S is in Sam again at gmail.com and you know I, I really am interested in anybody that's you know willing to help and you'll have a channel on YouTube Souls for Souls has a channel, mm -hmm. and if they want to see like videos and evidence, they don't use any stock photo either. Like they go around shoot the stuff, so you can see what they do. And that website again is soulsforsouls.org, which is S O L E S, the number four, S O U L S dot org. <laughs>
but they forgot that you couldn't butcher the golden goose. You can only take the eggs. And everybody wanted a piece, whether it was the wing or the thigh or the leg. <laughs> they probably even took the poor thing's beak. They they butchered the golden goose. They, they milked it. People, people, businesses, politicians, mm -hmm. organizations, mm -hmm. the unions, everybody has a share of the blame. You know, General Electric was the backbone of the community. People either worked there or sold products to General Electric or had someone in the family who was affiliated with the company. Every house was filled with General Electric appliances. Of course, that was before there was a made in Japan or a made in China. Over the time, they really just sucked the life out of the place. There was animosity between the unions and the management. Resulted in basically the management saying, we're going to move as much of this out of here as we can. The politicians, on the other hand, took all the money from the growth and they squandered it. They never planned for a rainy day, not once, and they still don't. Um, they continue to uh, invest money into uh, schemes, padding the pockets of their developer cronies. You know, they have a unique form of crony capitalism here uh, that's sustained through what's called the Metroplex uh, Development Authority. And, you know, it, it's really a shame because the, the middle class has been totally wiped out of Schenectady. As much as people would like to think there's some sort of renaissance going on, and the four square blocks downtown, the middle class has been wiped out of this place. The politicians uh, in the Democratic Party, for instance, who run the city and the county, continue to pump money into development schemes using the taxpayer money and giving it to their developer friends, and then they point to it and say, look at the progress we have. We opened a new restaurant. Or look at that. Proctor's is doing so well. Or look at that. We've just repaved Erie Boulevard for the cost of $18 million. In the meanwhile, the neighborhoods have completely collapsed. The school system is irretrievably collapsed, and you know there's never a day that goes by that there's a report of violence or some type of dispute occurring surrounding the school or in, at the school. It's really unfortunate because there are a lot of good people in Schenectady. There always have been, yet their leaders have really, really squandered every possible opportunity to make the place better and to plan for the hard times. We're like a mini Detroit. We're much smaller than Detroit, and we certainly don't have the kind of wealth that you know Detroit once did have with manufacturing. We have very small industry. There is General Electric, but there are only a few thousand people. They're a lot more similar than they are different. I don't know that we've approached the, the, the point of collapse to the extent the city of Detroit has, but the city of Detroit also has some very wealthy suburbs kind of propping up the center. And um, we have a couple suburbs, but I wouldn't say we have extremely wealthy suburbs. We have Niskayuna, which is probably the wealthiest. Then we have Rotterdam and Glenville. And uh, the people in Rotterdam, Glenville, and there's Dwaynesburg and Princeton, which are more rural, they're kind of at the point where they don't want to subsidize Schenectady as a city anymore, yet they're continuously forced to through the county distribution of a uh, tax burden. Joe, for a few years, attempted to be part of the solution of trying to save Schenectady. So how did that go? Well, I got into politics about 12, 13 years ago. I ran for county legislature in my hometown of Rotterdam. I was elected as a Republican, and uh, I served two terms, which is a total of eight years, on the county legislature. And I was in the minority, and um, I was even in the minority of my own party because I found that Oftentimes, the bureaucracy would come up with an idea, and it generally involves spending more money to solve a problem. 
uh, without realizing that the problem couldn't be solved all that easily with just the expense of money. And I would vote no. So I've got the reputation as being somebody who was negative or against things because I wasn't for squandering the taxpayer's money. What ended up happening was after eight years, I had basically given up. I, I had very little success in getting to through the um, the hardcore Democrat Party coalition uh, whose members would come to me in silence and tell me that they supported everything I said and they believed I was correct, yet the, if they voted in support of me or voted against these propositions of expenditures that they would be blackballed, okay? Well, I thought that, you know, that kind of stuff ended, you know, 100 years ago. Unfortunately, that type of politics is alive and well. We find that um, these political parties are running things, tends to be the Democratic Party here. They're running things with an iron fist. They're running it as a machine, and they don't want any opposition. They don't want dissension, and they certainly don't want anyone asking questions whatsoever. So it's, it's very frustrating to be a political official or a elected official in, in Schenectady County because you run up against a wall of silence and uncooperative attitudes. They were afraid to be labeled as extremists or Tea Party members or something. You know, if you don't support them spending millions of dollars that they don't have, then you're labeled an extremist, you know. I was always taught to balance my checkbook. You know, I was taught that when I was very young. And running a business in Schenectady, I obviously have to balance my checkbook. It's only the local, state, and federal governments apparently don't have to. They just can go into debt continuously. I know that there's going to be a day of reckoning, a fiscal reckoning, and it certainly is going to happen sooner rather than later. The question is, will there be any brave people to stand up against the status quo? And unfortunately... Um, names are thrown about and you're labeled and you're called names and you're you're picked on and bullied uh, if you ask questions about the issues that we face fiscally. And uh, I I don't know if there, there are going to be people in the future that will stand up. Well, I was sued with a frivolous lawsuit for slander when I ran for re-election after I won. Um, I was sued by the family of the person who I defeated in the election and it was thrown out of court, and it was, not only was it thrown out of court, the judge ruled that not only did I have the facts correctly, I had the law correctly on my side, and they were forced to pay for my attorneys. Nonetheless, the lawsuit has a chilling effect on free speech. Um, it's a bully tactic that you find from the left often, where they use uh, lawyers and courts to go after their opponents and try to shut them up. And um, I wasn't going to bow into the intimidation. I successfully fought that, and I won the suit. But nonetheless, some people would have capitulated. You know, sadly enough, there are many tactics out there which they employ, and uh, they have the media as willing accomplices in order to defame the their opposition, and they call them names. And if you ask questions, you're called a kook or a gadfly or the peanut gallery. There's a whole variety of names over the years that they've thrown around. Um, they called me a Nazi. Uh, I mean, you know, it, it's it's the same old song and dance. So I, I certainly found that it's it's discouraging for the average citizen, but people need to band together and stand up. I see the organic outgrowth of uh, dissension to be in the Tea Party, where people were upset to under, you know understand our national debt is growing at such a rapid rate and we're spending so much more than we take in. Well, it's just common sense. Oh, a lot of great things. I was able to help people. Uh, I, I recall a story of an 80 
five-year-old um, World War II veteran who somehow throughout um, time was not awarded his medals from World War II from his service in the Pacific, that he was, on paper, he was awarded the medals, yet they never sent them to him as he was mustered out of the service in 1946. So I went to work with the congressman, and uh, they were very cooperative, and they helped, and they were able to get him his medals. And the only reason he wanted his medals is that so his grandchildren could have them as he came to the point in which he knew he'd be passing away, and he wanted his grandchildren to have his medals. So that was rewarding, and those are the kinds of things you can do to help people. People would call me with questions from the mundane to the very serious, and I would help them. I would go to visit with them and do everything I could to make sure they could navigate the bureaucracy that they were faced with. And so it was the, the most rewarding part of being just a local county legislature member was to uh, assist people. Well, that's all the treasures I was able to dig out for today. I see quite a bit more loose yarns down in there in amongst the lint and popcorn kernels, of which I'll save for another day. In the Corner Back by the Woodpile podcast is produced by a closet, a pocket, and a suitcase. You can email us at spuncounterguy at hotmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at spuncounterguy. Be sure to download the new Podbean app to hear this podcast and others on your tablet and smartphone. And we are now on iTunes. Just do a search for Back by the Woodpile on the iTunes store and we should pop up. And a special thanks to thebrofisticate.com. Thank you.